we're knowing that there's going to be this strange mental strain that's being put on the athletes because the, 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 the environment is so different, you know, Hey, you're masking up, you're distancing, you're aware of these things that you didn't even have to think about before. Um, so this is where, you know, we have to understand their current levels of preparation. You're listening to sports tech feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have Nate Brookerson, the Assistant Athletic Director of Strength and Conditioning for Olympic Sports at North Carolina State University. Nate's primary training duties at NC State are with women's basketball and swimming, while supervising the implementation of training for over 500 student athletes. And that's what everything centers on today is the return to play for student athletes. So at this point of the year, it's anyone's idea if college sports will get a season. Uh, but the smart money is indicating that play won't return for the majority of sports until 2021. However, student athletes are beginning to return to somewhat normal training or new normal training uh, at their facilities as lockdowns are lifted across the US. And that is the perfect person to share the insights on how technology will assist and is assisting uh, with the return to play uh, in a safe and efficient manner. So prior to NC State, Nate was the Director of Athletic Performance for Olympic Sports at the University of Memphis. While at Memphis, Nate worked primarily with men's and women's soccer, men and women's golf, and track and field sprinters while supervising training for Olympic sports department. Before heading to Memphis, Nate was the Director of Athletic Performance at Eastern Washington University, primarily working with football and volleyball while supervising the training of all EDW student athletes. Originally a native of Lacey, Washington, Nate earned his bachelor's degree from Central Washington University and his master's degree from Eastern Washington U- University in Exercise Science. He's certified through the National Strength and Conditioning Association and the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association. So an incredible breadth of experience across uh, different sports with student athletes across different institutions. So a quick thanks to our friends at Val Performance for connecting us with Nate for today's episode. I encourage you to check out our episode from earlier this year with Val's co-founder, Sam James. That episode available along with show notes for this week's episode over on our website, sportstechfeed.com. Uh, if you click episodes, you can scroll through all the other fantastic guests that we've got. If you are looking at something to do uh, with your lockdown, with your commute from your bedroom to your home office or from your home office to the couch and then to the fridge and then back to the couch, chuck a podcast in. It's a great way to build your knowledge in the industry in the comfort of your own home. Another fantastic way that I recommend people to build industry knowledge uh, is to subscribe to our newsletter, sportstechworldseries.com. Click through to the bottom, subscribe to the newsletter. There you can get a weekly simple digest of the top trending articles that are happening in the industry. One further deep dive if you want to spend a bit more time drilling down to a certain topic. And then the highlights from that week's podcast. That's all for me from now. Here is Nate Brookerson from NC State. Nate Brookerson, Assistant Athletic Director of Strength and Conditioning, Olympic Sports at North Carolina State University. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Great to have you on the show. And and we'll dive straight into it um, with a bit of your background um, and your day-to-day responsibilities. If you can share that with our listeners to set the scene. Yeah. So as you said, I'm an assistant AD for strength conditioning for Olympic sports here at North Carolina State University, but I've had kind of a, a different path of getting here. Um, you know, when I, when I actually go to hire people in this industry, I'm always curious to see people who have a varied path that have not just been, you know, gone through an intern and then GA and then straight into the industry. So I, I definitely kind of meandered about. 
Um, started uh, training young athletes um, at Chris Carter's Fast Program. Uh, so that was my internship. It's in Coral Springs, Florida. It's actually now defunct. It was owned by the NFL player Chris Carter. Um, just happened to have somebody I'd gone to school with that had gone down there to intern. So it had that precedent set. So I was able to get in there. Um, mostly worked with young athletes and had a chance to work with some NFL combine athletes. Um, thought that I potentially wanted to go that route, but uh, didn't end up getting kept there as a full time. So I went back to, to Washington State where I'm from. And I worked at Velocity Sports Performance, which, you know, in the mid 2000s with this was this massive franchise that was everywhere. Um, you know, it trained eight to 18 year olds. And, you know, again, kind of had a little bit of that, that private sector element that I enjoyed with Chris Carter's place. Uh, did that for several, several years. Um, and then just realized I didn't like the, you know, kids come in for 12 to 16 sessions and then you're just trying to really sell and then they're out the door. Um, so I'd actually talked to my boss at the time, a gentleman named Rick Hughley, who, uh, had been the head strength coach at University of Washington for 18 years. And he had said, I think this would be a route that you would enjoy doing, but I think you need to go back and you need to get your master's and you need to work with some, you know, collegiate athletes. And so I had applied at, you know, these big schools, so University of Texas. I was a big fan of Tom Wright at the time. Really wanted to be able to work with him. Uh, University of Georgia and uh, University of Florida. And I ended up getting a teaching assistantship at University of Georgia. So I decided to go down there. thought I was going to get to uh, go work with football, try to just show up. And I was told by the head strength coach at the time there was no room. Uh, so... He had, he had let me know that there was a uh, other opportunities across campus in their Olympic sports department. Um, and that kind of set me uh, down that path. So had a chance to work with them for a year. And then I, uh, was able to, to luckily get a, a full-time role at Eastern Washington University. Uh, after only being at University of Georgia for a year in grad school, um, I was told by everybody there, you got to take full-time roles when you get them. So went back to Eastern Washington University, was working there for a year. And then my boss left. Uh, after that time to go to the military. So I got thrust into a head job at 26 years old and had to, to kind of sink or swim and, and figured it out. And I uh, was there for five years, moved to University of Memphis and the director of Olympic sports role. Um, and then in 2015 came to NC State uh, to work for a, a gentleman named Bob Alejo, who's very well known in the industry, was with the athletics um, at UCLA. He's now at uh, Cal State Northridge came in to be his kind of number two. Um, he had moved on to the senior associate AD role at Cal State. And so I moved into this, you know, assistant AD role. And so now I'm uh, supervising our Olympic sports department, which is six full times. We have one externally funded position by LexisNexis. So he works in kind of a hybrid data science role. Um, also kind of have a, uh, a supervisory role over our nutrition department, which at this time is only one individual, but, uh, we're looking to hire a director and another assistant. So typically three with, uh, you know, a myriad of interns that, that work on that side as well. Um, and, and work hand in hand in, in what we call the PAC performance department, which is the heads of, you know, sports psychology, athletic medicine, um, sports nutrition and some academic support services with a, an AD over the top of us. And just driving kind of an interdisciplinary process. Um, so feel very, very lucky to be in this role and have been in it now for three years and 
just kind of looking to see, you know, what this next step is going to be with obviously the challenges that we're all facing with, with COVID and the realities of what, you know, college athletics is going to need to shift to, uh, in the coming months, years, um, as this all kind of plays out. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, it is a, it's a unique time in the, the history of college sports and, and a lot gets talk about football, what's happening there, obviously just, uh, I mean, kind of the money behind that. So that's where a lot of the attention goes, but Olympic sports as, um, training grounds for future Olympians, for future athletes, um, really starts at that college level. Um, and ensuring holistic performance for them has flow on effects for, uh, the U S's performance, you know, for years to come at, at the, uh, at the games. So, uh, I mean, diving straight into the, from that, what's actually happening with the pandemic. So how have you been managing training, um, your athletes during the coronavirus lockdown? Yeah. So, you know, the, initially it had started right before. So I work with women's basketball and, and swimming, um, you know, in, in particular, it was right before we were about to move into the NCAA tournament when everything kind of went into shutdown mode. So mid-March and we were all sent home and, you know, at the time you're kind of get knocked on your heels. You didn't really know what to expect. You knew it was obviously serious. Uh, <laughs> you just didn't, you know, I think a lot of us in the U S kind of were, were wishful thinking like, Oh, it's, it's not going to be as bad as, as maybe, you know, we perceived it to be or, you know, the vaccine's going to come along sooner than later or whatever was going to happen. It was just hard to accept the reality of it. So at first, you know, we were kind of going into our postseason um, phase anyway. Swimming was was in the same boat. They're both winter sports that compete in that kind of, you know, um, spring season. So it was more transition with them. So it was some of our, you know, GPP work that we were going to do postseason, knowing that those uh, respective postseasons were canceled. But, you know, as this kind of started to continue to play out, this was when, you know, as a staff, we we got together through Zoom and we needed to start figuring out, you know, what our, our strategies or, or plan of attack were uh, kind of moving forward, knowing that we were going to need to do more, you know, distance type of education and training. Um, so initially moving into this year, we had explored, you know, moving to an athlete management system. We had used Kinduct in the past. Um, but we were going to make a shift to smarter base and bridge athletic. But, you know, again, obviously with, with everything as it was playing out, you knew that there was going to be budgetary limitations. We basically had our budget, um, put on hold from this last fiscal year, you know, moving into 2021. So then it was going back to, okay, what are, what are some of the tried and true things that we, we've used in the past that we feel like we can leverage that weren't going to require us to, to have to invest more money. So, um, Google Sheets, you know, we had, we'd had a gentleman named Craig Turner who's now, uh, working with the 76ers organization who had, uh, been in a director of sports science role with us for several years, had really built out a, a pretty, um, in-depth Google Sheet system that we had used. Um, so we had continued to leverage that with, uh, the communication with the athletes. It, it had allowed us to, to do everything from, you know, pull, uh, data from testing and, and, uh, different monitoring that we had done with them all into one sheet, just centralized locations, but it was a little chunkier and slower. So we kind of have streamlined it since it was an unbelievable system, but it was only really meant to be working with, with one team. And, uh, Craig's teams were a little bit smaller. So as we're moving into, you know, swimming, say 70 plus athletes, it was just a, a system that like it, it was not able to be sustainable with Google Sheets. So has streamlined that, streamlined that, but we use that quite a bit. Um, Teamworks has been our main communication software 
that's one that has been implemented department wide. So again, as the, the learning curve had been there with women's basketball from several years ago, um, it had been much easier to use. And now again, implementing it without or within the uh, department had just forced us to, to be more adept at using it. Um, group me was, was really critical with swimming because that was already in place. It was, you know, a framework that was there. So e- again, easier to communicate with them through that just to give them updates as to what we were doing from a training perspective. Hey, check this sheet. Hey, if you need anything, we'll set up a zoom meeting. Um, I had gone to just doing, you know, open hours where would run a zoom for an hour. So that would be, you know, if I was out in my garage training, um, just to be able to <laughs> answer any questions yeah. about anything. Um, Google Drive, we had dropped all the videos on there just to, again, uh, allow them to have something that they could go, you know, look at if they, if they needed some sort of reference, uh, in terms of how to execute the exercise. Um, and then women's basketball had used the, uh, the telelab feature through Vald, um, with some of the rehab. So again, it was just trying to find things that we had that were currently in place that we felt like we didn't have to go and really spend time, you know, getting up to speed because we knew it was something that we needed to provide these services uh, readily for the athletes and just things that allowed um, them to have quick access to this information. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the, the main breadth of, of stuff that we'd use from a technology perspective. And also using, um, as you said, cost efficient solutions, because I mean, the, the latest report that's coming out today with um, a, a sports being either wound up uh, college a lot of college programs either discontinuing them or not having a season this year um the harsh reality is there's budget cuts as you said um and there may be the best solution on the market uh but is it really worth the money that's going to be spent so it's interesting to mention that a few of those solutions like zoom for instance there's a free version um there's you know telehab is free as well from vald that's a great solution obviously the google products are free um, so it's better to have those than, um, spend a whole bunch of money on, on a, a something that may do the job better, but is it going to deliver the returns? Yeah. Well, and, that- and, and to be fair, you know, that a lot of these companies, um, have done a really good job of, of making their products more affordable and understanding again, the, the, the budgetary restrictions that a lot of people are dealing with. We had just had from this last year, the 1920 budget, um, the, the 1920 budget or the fiscal year basically been told that, you know, it was, it was a spending freeze. So moving into this next year, this is where we're going to go back and say, okay, the realities of our budget are X, Y, and Z. And this is where we even have to be more, you know, systematic than we've been in the past to say like, okay, what are, what are the real issues that we're dealing with as a department? You know, what are the things that we can leverage, whether it's internally, whether it's just S and C or the things that we can start to, um, you know, couple within that kind of pack performance interdisciplinary, um, system. So if we bring nutrition in or we bring athletic medicine in, how do we, how do we again, provide these services are cost efficient and effective. And, and maybe it's not a, you know, a blanket, you know, everybody in the department uses it. It, it maybe, um, it, it's not necessarily picking sports based on any other reason than, you know, what the sport and what the coaching staff is most comfortable with and what they maybe are potentially interested in uh, integrating in, whether it's just us or even, you know, coupling in with uh, the the sport itself. So, for example, Fit for 90 um, has been used by our men's, 
soccer team. So instead of us going out and saying, okay, we're going to uh, purchase a, a secondary athlete management system, how do we more effectively understand that system and, and maybe things that we can integrate in? Um, and if there are some missing pieces, what can we leverage with, you know, again, a, a current system like a, a Teamworks or a Google um, to be able yeah. to supplement the other areas? So is that is that your advice for vendors that are, are looking to sell into the collegiate space, mindful that the budgets are, are being frozen or cut? Um, is it, for example, an AMS? Um, is it saying I'll kind of give you a cheaper price, or I will give you a something that you can use across all your teams? Uh, Do you think it's, or is it, is it kind of a mixture of the two? Yeah. So, you know, working with, I, so I started working with Kinduct and it was 2013 when I first went to Memphis through a gentleman named Robert Butler had introduced me to the, the CEO at the time, Travis McDonough. Um, I might be messing up his last name, but you know, at first it was okay. They were, they were using information from, you know, things that we were collecting kind of our day-to-day experience with the system to be able to, to offer better services to people that were interested in it in the collegiate space. Um, obviously, again, like you had mentioned, the the challenge with the collegiate space is that it's, it's hard to scale it. So if you're going to work with an entire department and you have 400 plus athletes and you're charging by the athlete, I mean, that just becomes mm. cost prohibitive after a while. Yeah. So, you know, I think most of the, the, the AMS companies that have been successful have gone in and said, this isn't necessarily going to be a department wide initiative. You know, what are the teams that you feel the most that, that, that need this system the most or would, again, I know I use this word a lot, leverage the, the system most effectively. So if you don't feel like that team would be interested in something like this, if they're not experienced or adept with a, a program builder, if they're not doing subjective monitoring, if they're not interested in RPs, if they're not really interested in that kind of centralized, you know, data storage piece, you know, is this something that you even feel like is, is needed at this time for this team? Or is it maybe you introduce it with another team that would be more interested in, mm. in the system and, and really get the value add? And then you just try to educate or upskill the coaching staff that, you know, uh, of a, of a men's basketball or football that, you know, maybe there's, there's more money in those teams that can come back and say, okay, now we're seeing it in practice with these teams. They can communicate as to how it's, you know, made them more effective in what they do, whether it's how they communicate or how they share data or, or how they, uh, you know, track performance. Um, I, I think to me, that is what makes the most sense instead of just saying like, Hey, let's put this into your entire department. Um, and then finding, you know, some teams that are just not interested in really utilizing those services at a high level, um, find the ones who are the most interested, really be able to push that throughout the department and, and use that as a, um, you know, just a, a template to be able to say, okay, as we want to grow this, um, you know, this is this is the pilot teams that we can see how it's successful and, and maybe pitfall or challenges that are come along with it as well. Yeah, definitely. And then that's um, then you have internal uh, cheerleaders that are going to be pushing that and saying, well, this worked really well for our team. And this is how it could help you. So uh, it's, that's some great advice for the, the vendors trying to navigate the space. Um, and I mean. Circling back to the actual athletes, so how have you found they've responded to this remote training? Um, we talked about a few of the tools that we use, but how have they they kind of come to it? Is it is it been something that you've um, uh, seen a noticeable dip in performance, or of people being able to um, continue to kind of train to their fullest? I, you know, uh, again, the the teams that I mentioned, uh, I'll, I'll kind of speak to them. So women's basketball. 
you know, it's, it's typically a group that's, it, it's a smaller team, you know, 14 to 15 athletes. Um, they get used to a lot of, you know, semi-group to individualized training um, that can be very responsive to, you know, the, the workload that they're getting on the court or their needs specifically around assessment. You know, anytime you have this, this distance approach, uh, it's how do you personalize or how do you package that to make it feel unique or specific to that individual? Um, so I would say with that group, they've, they've challenged me to, to really make sure that I'm delivering to what their specific needs are. Um, whereas, you know, the, the, the swimming group, they're used to kind of this, this larger group type of training. And, and that's kind of actually how they crave to, to be in that space. They, they feel motivated. They kind of, um, they, they kind of feed off the energy of their other teammates. They don't necessarily, again, kind of crave this, like this highly individualized program, so I think they respond better to, okay, if I give you the sheet, the expectation is based on the culture of your sport and based on who you are, like you're going to do it. You're going to work at a high level regardless of your challenges. Um, they ask a lot of, uh, of good questions about, okay, well, I don't have access to this piece of equipment, but I have this. Um, how, how can I make this, you know, uh, work for my specific situation? Whereas ba- the women's basketball players were not as <laughs> they they were not as re- as responsive to the program. I think at times if they saw things that they felt like didn't work for them, it would just be like, "Well, I'm not going to do this because Nate, you know, he doesn't realize based on my situation that you know I can't do this right now or I don't have access to this equipment." So you know those those become the challenges and just the the personalized piece. You know, there's always going to be the science, but there's there's absolutely the art form of what we do and the and the motivation and the the coaching and the environment. Um, you know, again, I, I talk to people about this all the time. The athletes don't come here for us. You know, you, you want to think that they do. Um, but they don't come here to, you know, beat weightlifters or, um, powerlifters or anything of that nature. You know, I think a lot of them tolerate the, the training environment that they don't necessarily revel in that. And, you know, a lot of their kind of, their secondary, you know, conditioning or just general activity gets filled in by, you know, just kind of doing their sport in mm. more relaxed environments, whether it's just skill-based type of situations or just, you know, open play. Like I think about a basketball player just being on the court working on, you know, different attack moves and, and, and j- different jump shots and things of that nature. And they kind of get that like secondary conditioning through that. And so they really don't – I don't think those kids really get what I would consider out of shape. Um, when that gets taken away and then it becomes very formal, you know, formal, you know, Hey, you need to go out and do this for conditioning or you need yeah. to do, you know, some biking and things that are just very outside of the nature of what they would prefer to do that. Again, that it becomes more challenging, uh, when you're not there helping them through and, and helping motivate them and, and making those on the fly type of changes. So, you know, uh, people keep asking me like, what percentage of the athletes do you think are actually doing this stuff? I don't know. I don't want to assign that. Um, I, I think about my own experience as a college athlete when I was handed a book at the beginning of the summer, I'm the division two football player. So, you know, you get a con- strength and conditioning book, you look through it and maybe you have, you know, an idea of how to do 60% of it. Some of it is just, you know, stuff you would never do. <laughs> and, you know, there, there was just times where it's like, okay, I, I'm going to do a hundred percent of this or today I only have the time to do half of this. Um, or, or today I don't have access to this facility that I need to do this. And those were challenges without COVID being present. Um, let alone what these, what these kids are dealing with. 
And then, you know, knowing that this was going on longer than they expected, um, I think a lot of them weren't prepared to necessarily go out and buy equipment to necessarily overload things after a while. Well, even if they could get their hands on it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just just the if anyone's been to a, a sports stores in the US, they're just stripped bare. Wiped out, yeah, wiped out. You know, and then people are just making kind of homemade, um, some of homemade equipment, <laughs> some bags of cement, bags of sand, paint cans. Yeah, which again, I, I, I use I use my four year old son, <laughs> forty five pounds. He's great. Uh, first time I've had a weight talk back to me, but anyway, yeah, exactly. Um, you get the motivation and the uh, and the exercise at the same time, but. Uh, it's yeah. It, what's actually phys- physically available? I mean, you mentioned swimmers earlier. Um, yeah, pools have been closed. Um, yeah, you know, a bit of a trip to the ocean. Um, Lakes, beaches are closed yeah. anyway. So, uh, what you can actually do there, and and it's also interesting you mentioned about the um, incidental conditioning that they get that they that an athlete doesn't think about as conditioning. It's just them playing the sport that they love. Um, yeah, you, question. Like a brings up MJ, Michael Jordan, um, was in his contract that he could play basketball whenever he wanted. Um, and that was part of it. And that's, you know, he just loved the game. And, and of course you get this, this intensity and in especially if you're playing it in a, in a match situation, even if it's just pickup, um, you keep pushing yourself. So that's, that's kind of limited. Um, and interesting that you mentioned you're not kind of religiously tracking whether these athletes are doing that. Yeah. Is that as, it's kind of started to reopen and you're having more access to the athletes and the athletes have more access to facilities. Is that something that you're seeing, um, I guess, in their performance? Like it's kind of writings on the wall, whether someone has done what's been prescribed. Yeah. Um, so again, at this point, so today I was up to eight women's basketball players of the 14 that are going to be able to train. So the rest of them were just waiting on their, you know, COVID testing to come through and then they'll be cleared. Um, I would say of those eight, nobody, nobody has shocked me in terms of their lack of preparation. It's, it's typically, um, what you see is just a generalized loss of work capacity. A lot of, um, it, it once we are able to, to body fat test and, and look at actual fat free mass, you're going to see a loss of fat free mass. A lot of the kids that, just couldn't think of other things to do. I think probably got bored and did things that were more aerobic than, you know, their, their body type would, would call for. So doing a lot of biking and walking and maybe just jogging. Um, so things where it's not, you know, it, it's less accepted, obviously in society to just go out in the road and sprint or to go to a hill and sprint or to throw a medicine ball. It, it, it's, it's almost like it shocks people. So I think kids, when they were back in their neighborhoods, it's probably, again, if they're not on the court, being able to do some of that more explosive type of work, they probably weren't doing the, again, the short sprints and jumps and, and low level plyos that they were prescribed. So those are the, the things that we're seeing to me lacking. And then from, again, a work capacity is more like that repeatability of explosive work. But, uh, Again, with, with how we're setting it up, we're giving ourselves the opportunity to build those things in. I feel like people are, are the, especially the coaching staff is more accepting of the realities of this is going to take yeah. longer. Um, and, and I know once we start our on the court activity, which I don't know is, has been approved yet by the NCA, but I think it's as of now is July 20th and we go back to doing some of the catapult tracking and we understand these are the workloads that we've seen. Here's the, you know, external load and internal response. You know, the things that we feel like 
visually that wouldn't be so challenging, we're going to see that they're they're having to do more work or they're probably less efficient in those things just because, again, this is the longest that they've gone for their entire life without doing those activities uh, in a formalized, you know, setting. And you, are you pairing those? So, I mean, catapult data, for instance, the GPS tracking, um, you know, you, you have an objective baseline for that and you can see well, where are they placed when they come back. Are you also doing any subjective testing? Uh, yeah. Like, so uh, inter- interviews or questionnaires or things like that. Yeah. No, no question. Yeah. So we've, we've been using the modified, uh, Coots McLean questionnaire for years with women's basketball. And that's something that we've, they've, again, has just become part of the culture. But, um, you know, we're, we're knowing that the athletes are coming back in a variety of levels of preparation. Um, you know, I wouldn't say anyone's detrained, but trained to what the specific demands of the sport are would be, you know, where, where we're seeing those things lacking. Um, plus we're, we're knowing that there's going to be this strange mental strain that's being put on the athletes because the, 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 the environment is so different, you know, Hey, you're masking up, you're distancing, you're aware of these things that you didn't even have to think about before. Um, so this is where, you know, we have to understand their current levels of preparation. So the subjective piece is, is hugely important to be able to have that communication to say, how are you responding to this training? What are the things that we feel like are, you know, is this more mood disturbance or is this, you know, more, you know, physiological issues that we're dealing with? Um, as of now, at least some of the, the other challenges of like classes, uh, you know, in place classes and some of the, the academic strain that they've had in the past has been removed. Um, and moving forward, I think, you know, the plan is for the fall that some classes will be in person, but the majority of them will be online. So at least that becomes a little bit more like the professional environment. It's not as much of the, the strain from a schooling perspective, even though, again, they're all student athletes, they're not professional athletes. So that's what they're coming here for. But, you know, not having to be in the classroom and, and having yeah. to have that mental strain as well. Um, but but we'll see. I mean, again, they've only been here. You know, the, the most I've had is, is girls have been here for four weeks and then I've had about half of them have been with me only for a week coming back. Yeah. And uh, you're mentioning that with um, schooling that a lot of that's going remote um, and that will probably continue for the foreseeable future. Is that is that one element that you see um, similar with training in the sense of things that were introduced um, as part of the COVID response? What's going to kind of stick around? Um, into our new normal so a vaccine is developed next week next year whenever that is um, and we're not as concerned about these issues yeah. what will what what learnings or what positives have come out of it that you think um, will be incorporated into yeah I, I, I just think that when you start talking about you know how you how you are more efficient with your time and really understanding what are the demands of the sport what is what is, is this person what do they do well and what maybe qualities are there lack are they lacking um, and really starting to hone in on, you know, how to optimize this training process and making sure that we're not adding all these extraneous variables. Um, the challenge becomes from an individualization standpoint to be able to do that, you know, with a, with a group is, is going to require more coaching and more hands on, uh, you know, opportunities, but we won't necessarily have as many coaches there physically as we've had in the past because we have to limit that. But, you know, being as efficient as possible with, you know, not just saying, Hey, I'm going to do this because I've had the time. I have the 60 minutes. Now it might be, you know, we only have 40 minutes because we need to have more time to, you know, clean and prepare for the next group. So it's really optimizing what are the things that are the most important. And for us, 
you know, we, we go back to, uh, you know, having kind of a theme to a day and what's needed to really hit on that theme and optimize that process. And then having your objective means to track whether those things have actually, you know, taken place. So if I'm really working on sprinting, am I seeing a change? If I'm really working on, um, uh, change of direction abilities, am I seeing that take place in, in a reliable, uh, um, you know, objective environment. So being able to really train them specifically for what their needs are and then to, to get them prepared for the sport and to hopefully cut a lot of this fluff out. So we're, we just won't have the time to, to do a lot of this extra filler work. Yeah. And, uh, I guess with restrictions on the amount of people in facilities or, um, uh, you know, how many people that you can have, uh, all together in one space, all that kind of stuff, um, forces you to be creative. It's kind of understanding, well, you don't need every single member of a team maybe, and, and I'm thinking more something like football or whatever it is, um, but you don't need, need everyone in the weights room at the same time if you can actually structure and, and divide the programs. So that's certainly something that um, I think will continue once that social distancing um, requirement is hopefully lifted and hopefully soon. Yeah. And, and just this idea of as well, when we're understanding again more about the virus and how it's going to spread, uh, you know, it seems like this, this, uh, airborne piece is, is kind of what everybody's hitting on. So, you know, I've just being from the private setting to start with in my career was used to doing more outside of the weight room. Cause a lot of the athletes that came in, especially when I was doing the NFL combine, prep a lot of the athletes were just kind of they were burnt out from like i every day i'm i'm doing this hang clean i'm doing this squat variant i'm doing this press i'm doing all these things and my body doesn't feel particularly good i don't feel that athletic um being able to to return back to just doing more outdoor activities so just some of your general calisthenics med ball work sprinting change of direction things of that nature where I, I do believe this allows us that opportunity to get back outside and do more instead of just always feeling like I have to be in the weight room because I, ha- I have 60 minutes and I'm going to get all my time in here. Now we're having to be more creative with our time allotments and saying, okay, what really is important? What's really going to transfer to the sport? A lot of times I don't, I'm not saying that the weight room is not important. It, I think it has a, a time and a place, but not being so married to that as your primary means of preparing an athlete, knowing that, you know, I, I'm, I might only get two thirds of the time that I've got to prepare them in the past, what's the most important stuff that I can do. And so when we start talking about things like sprinting, you know, that, that just becomes so important to expose them to that neural stimulus and and that loading on the body and, and obviously the specific type of thing that they're going to get exposed to in their sport. So again, really understanding the sport at a high level, what can we cut out? What is not important for their success? Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time um, today, Nate. That's uh, been a really interesting discussion and and hopefully uh, it will be uh, one of those things that we look back on in the past and just go, you know, what a crazy dream this was. Um, uh, I can't believe it was like that. All, all indicators say that it's not like that. So um, it's still great to see that uh, the athletes are getting the training they need to and kind of using technology to underpin that. Um but before we go, I've got one final question for you. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Ooh, um, I grew up as a big Mariners fan. So um, uh, it was, what, was that 96 where they won the uh, ALCS? 
Um, or it was, no, it was divisional series because they went to the ALCS. They didn't make it to the, uh, didn't make it to the World Series. Um, when Griffey slid in and, uh, I can't, I can't remember if they beat the Yankees or whoever they beat, but, you know, it was one of those, uh, cherished memories to actually see a hometown team do well because, you know, when I was a kid, there was, uh, the Seahawks were not very good. I mean, obviously it's, it's great to see them win a Super Bowl, but this is more in my adult years. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just remember that, uh, you know, just seeing them successful back in the old kingdom, back in the, like the Griffey, Randy Johnson, Alex Rodriguez type of days. Um, yeah, that was, that was a big memory. Cause again, just Seattle sports, not, not necessarily particularly good. Uh, well, I see a championship hat, uh, hanging up behind you. So they've, uh, they've had their moments since then, but I'll, uh, I'll definitely include, um, some footage to that, uh, 96 series if I can. Um, so everyone can relive that with you. Awesome. No worries. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Nate. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and it's been great to have you on Sports Tech Feed. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. There you have it. That was Nate Brookerson, the Assistant Athletic Director of Strength and Conditioning for Olympic Sports at North Carolina State University. Really interesting points around the lack of diversity in training that can happen um, when people are locked down and this kind of for me, the, the pull to cardio that a lot of strength uh, and explosive strength athletes might not need a lot of, uh, but as I'm sure everyone who's listening at home, at the end of the day when you're locked down, there's kind of only so many exercises you can do, body weight workouts, YouTube videos you can follow in your garage. At the end of the day, going for a run, going for a bike ride can seem a lot more appealing um, than being cooped up in the box with your sandbags or your, your cartons of milk or whatever else you're working with as makeshift weights. I also really like the point that uh, understanding the data on it, so baseline of athletes, where they've been, where they potentially should be, and then kind of matching those two, and the mental aspect, which is also tracked around perceived exertion versus actual exertion with monitoring heart rate, all the other things like that. So marrying all that data up and then getting a real picture of where this student athlete is, where they should be, but being understanding and being supportive of them as they attempt to get back to some normal level of training, which really is to say that nothing's normal from here, but get back to the high intensity of training that athletes, including student athletes, uh, do on their day-to-day. That's all from today's show. I've been your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us again this week and looking forward to seeing you next time. Ah!